0: Well one of the biggest podcasts we've done since mi3 launched was the Google 2021 cookie meltdown back in April. We've got some of that panel back to talk about another imminent and equally market shifting development that is looming courtesy of Apple this time. if you like the idea of Apple users typically being higher margin bigger spending customers and if they have any anything to do with apps, uh, yes they would then in two months, your world might be rocked again. History, as one of today's guests will tell you, is repeating. In September, Apple will release its iOS 14 update, and a far more aggressive and overt request will be made by Apple asking its phone customers whether they want to be tracked. Google could well follow. It's likely to trigger acres of grief for brands and marketers through the mobile marketing and app supply chain, so we have some smart minds to work through what it all means today. With us is adorebeauty.com.au's head of acquisition and retention, Michaela Michaud, Synergy Stack founder and a former eMitch executive who has returned from the US with a suite of tech tools after dancing with the tech sector there, Chris Brinkworth, Joey Newen, who is co founder of VentiFact, a Martech and customer data platform advisory firm. It's got clients like Canva, Zip, Zero, and UTS. And finally, we have Matt Hunt, CEO of Geronimo which is a mobile experience agency working with Blackmores, BWS, Woolies and Telstra. So welcome to you all. Uh, This is a big one too. Chris Sprinkworth, let's start with you and the big picture. Apple's about to unleash some new restrictions on app tracking and consent, which is going to shake up the mobile marketing industry. You think similar to what Google is doing in 2022 with cookies. Just give us some background there. Uh, Apple customers, uh, we should say, are quite lucrative, right, and quite in demand as a segment. So there's some, some kind of big things cooking.
1: There are. So I think it's worth taking, like you mentioned earlier, on, uh, just a quick look back to the fact that the deadline for Chrome 2022, where Chrome will be removing all of the opportunity for third-party cookies to be set within the Chrome browser, was pretty much a, a reaction to what Safari were already doing with, with their ITP and ITP2. So that's Intelligent Tracking Prevention. So first of all, you had Apple with Safari across all of the web browsers and desktop browsers for for Mac.
0: Which I think we talked about was 30% effective, 30% share of the browser market, right?
1: That's absolutely correct. And then Google came out with their announcement, which will be phasing in come 2022. So if no one listened to that first podcast, it's worth going back and and getting a good listen to that one. Now, what's happened here is you had the um, worldwide developer conference for Apple back in June, and they gave an update on everything in regards to new iOS updates, etc, etc, as with any Apple forum. But one of the key areas that all the ad tech and marketing industry wanted to listen to was their update on something called the identifier for advertisers. So we'll call that the IDFA from now on, but it's an identifier to ensure that advertisers can can target you with specific messaging, analytics, conversions, how your app pages are are optimized, etc. With the iOS 14 update, which gets released in September, Anyone that has an Apple phone will know how often they get prompt to, to automatically install that. There will be a rather rapid uptake in the iOS 14 download and update of that, that system. From then onwards, that IDFA where previously anyone using an app, any type of app on your phone from Facebook to, I don't know, ANZ Bank or to, to Universal News, etc. Currently, you don't know that you're actually being targeted using that IDFA. But what will happen in the future will be you get a notification asking you, Facebook would like permission to track you across apps and websites that are owned by other companies. Your data will be used to deliver personalized ads to you. And there's some options there. Allow tracking or ask app not to track. Now, when you actually look at that notification that is pushed to you without a request, so the app is pushing it to you, but it has to be pushed, there's no choice. My view, this is, I'm not saying it's definitely what Apple did, but my view is it's very much put uh, in a nefarious way to say, hey, you're being tracked, don't be tracked, ask the app not to track you. Uh, there are probably smoother ways of, of putting it there, such as Twitter did a really good job of it about we'd like to personalize your experience using using data for advertising. But where this is important to understand is if you look at the numbers from previous updates of previous operating systems, you're probably gonna have within a four week to five week period, 50% of all Apple users will have updated their phone. That will mean that as soon as iOS 14 is on someone's phone, there there, there are two things that will happen. First of all, If the app has not been updated by the publisher themselves or the app creator, it will not be collecting data. Straight away, as soon as you've got iOS 14, you will not be sharing your data with any apps whatsoever. But when the app itself has been updated, and if we look at large publishers, not not the smaller long-tail publishers, but large publishers that rely on the data, they've probably got all the apps ready to go. If the app has been updated, it will have a push notification saying um, this app would like like the permission to track you. So the question there is, um, you only get it once, one opportunity. So there's one opportunity for the, the consumer to say, yes, allow tracking for your app, or one opportunity for them to say, no, do not track. Then it will never ask again.
0: So the big question, Chris, then, is how many people are going to say, uh, don't track me? What's your hunch?
1: I think it's a very small number. I, I think the last time we had this conversation was about 5%, I said. I really don't see it being a large, a large number. But it all comes down to how much trust the users have in that app specifically. Because if you've just downloaded Candy Crush as an example, then you're most likely to say, do not track me. But if you've downloaded something that you trust and you trust that brand to keep your data secure, do you know what? You might well say yes, because I want a better experience. So I think it really comes down to what type of app it is.
0: I'm going to get the rest of the panellists to get their uh, their hunch on this too. I think we were ranging anywhere from 20 to 50%. So, Joey and Ewan, um, we'll get back to Chris on the implications for, for publishers and the media supply chain. But firstly, your hunch on, on how many people will say, no, don't track me. And secondly, then, why does all this... Matter for brands. How far, I guess, do the implications go for, say, a blue chip company and in its marketing teams? How big is this thing? Is it is it as big as Google twenty twenty two, for instance?
2: Absolutely. So, definitely addressing the first point, my expectation is that uptake, you know, industry wide, will be under twenty percent. The the last poll I saw from Tap Research was somewhere between 14 to 19% ex- expected, and that's polling of, of real users.
0: That's people saying, yes, you can track me? Is that what you're saying? Right.
2: Only 14 to 19% are, will, are likely to opt in, uh, was the, the specific poll. But I do agree with Chris that it's going to be very much industry dependent and very dependent on what brands do to incentivize the user opting in. And that's something we can come back to later, but going into what are the the implications and how far reaching does it go? You know, this really impacts any brand on, on a major level that interacts with uh, users in a mobile app context. So that could be that they have their own mobile app or it could be that they are trying to target mobile app users for the purposes of advertising. And quite similar to the cookie conversation that we had, it may be being used in more places that brands are being aware of. So the ID for advertisers, for instance, is used for attribution. uh, When brands are trying to trace the fact that someone has seen a campaign to drive someone to install the app and then measure how effective that ad was. Uh, it's used for retargeting so that they've taken an action within the app, let's say uh, added something to the cart and the, the brand wants to find that user again to in order to incentivize them to come back. Uh, it may also be retargeting of users for brands that don't actually have an app. So one use case we were discussing just before was Facebook audience extension where you may be retargeting users based off their behaviors Facebook gives you the option to extend that into their mobile app network, but that is completely dependent on IDFA. So those extension options that may have increased the reach or the effectiveness of the campaigns that you're running before are now going to be off the table. And another one that's quite important to brands is the data partnerships perspective. So we're talking about uh, trying to add additional context or fill in blanks of something you might not know about your users. A lot of these data partnerships have a range of identifiers, but the ID for advertisers is absolutely a key one. So not being able to link, for instance, between two brands to know it's the same user is another thing that will, will definitely be impacted by this.
0: This is, uh, Joey, uh, Apple's far more aggressive on, on the privacy front uh, than some of the other big tech players we see come out of um, Silicon Valley and the US full stop and beyond. So th- this, this more aggressive front, is, is it a surprise that Apple's
2: done, done this? I don't think it's a surprise what I think it is is it shows the the power of iOS. So you could say that the changes that they made to Safari which were a precursor to Chrome 2022 had a had a similar impact. They didn't really consult with the the industry but because the Safari browser share was lower uh, the in a way the industry and brands could kind of ignore it. You know, it wasn't a major enough problem to address it like with Chrome 2022. Uh, But with this iOS change, because it is hitting those high value users, because it's hitting a much larger market share of customers, uh, it's really brought it front and center and made everyone say, we need to address this right away. I think the interesting thing is not just Apple's... uh, willingness to make changes like this that are drastic and dramatic, but also the feedback that we're seeing in the industry where Google is quite consultative, that they've given obviously a length of time, a grace period before 2022 and said to brands and advertisers and publishers, we want to work with you. We want to understand what do you need to see out of any replacement to cookies and, and the type of aggregate reporting we'll give. Whereas Apple's been super prescriptive and The thing that we're hearing most from the industry is they don't have an idea of how the the advertising industry actually works, um, but with some of the changes that they're proposing.
0: Right. And it's partly because their business is not really in advertising. They don't really care, I would imagine, uh, as much as perhaps Google, where perhaps 80% of their revenues comes from the ad market. That's probably the difference, right?
2: You could definitely say that it hurts Apple's competitors far more than it hurts themselves.
0: Yes. Matt Hunt, you are in the thick of the mobile uh, marketing sector or the mobile sector, full stop. What's your take on all this? And um, I guess, you know, to brands and marketing teams, uh, do you think they're across this yet? Yeah,
3: thanks, Paul. And thanks for having me. Our take on it is, and we think about mobile a lot as a mobile experience agency, is any change to mobile advertising or any change to mobile marketing is a change to marketing.
0: Because we've got past the year of the mobile right now, Matt. We're in, the, we're in mobile. You could say that.
3: But if you think about, I think it's important to put context around the importance of mobile in the way that brands are thinking about reaching customers. So 80% of, of, of search is mobile-based. 40% of online transactions are mobile-based. $28 billion uh, in the U.S., it's spent on mobile search every year, and it accounts for about seventy percent of all digital spend. So you, it's very difficult to, to decouple mobile-based advertising from the from the broader ecosystem. And I think marketers are, of course, across the impact of mobile and what it means to their business. But I think it's one of many priorities that they have to get their hands around, uh, to get their heads around, rather. So I think it's incumbent on uh, on specialists and, and people like us and shows like this to be able to you know help um, brands uh, navigate their, navigate their way through it when we speak to the brands that, w- that we work with I think it affects marketers in in two main ways the first is definitely around marketing or acquiring customers or digital marketing and the reality is that this change around what Apple's done has effectively reduced the amount of inventory available to effectively reach your audience. Uh, And while there's some seemingly good news, I think we're expecting that the price of inventory will actually go down for for Apple-based users, but that's not ideal. The reason it's going down is because it's less attractive than it was before, because it's very difficult to understand who those people are and attribute um, um, marketing activity off the back. So I think anyone who's doing any sort of digital marketing is going to be affected by this.
0: Can I just be clear there, Matt? So you're saying even though Apple users are the most lucrative as a a segment because of this change and the lack of data layers that will explain who they are, where they are, prices will go down. So you've got a lucrative segment that will 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 cost less.
3: Partly. the, The estimates are that the value of those users are going to drop somewhere in the order of 60%. Right, so imagine that discussion with a marketing director like Michaela uh, because that conversation is we can now reach more people. But the reason we can reach more people is because it's cheaper, is because that lucrative audience is no longer as lucrative because the price of inventory or ad space is largely related to either the context where it's placed. Um, you might say that I, uh, uh, for a business audience, um, the financial review is a fantastic premium place to put my advertising. But the second way of doing that is by appending data. Um, uh, This ad I know is probably a female, probably a business decision maker, probably in this location, probably displays these behaviours. So when you take away the ability to append the understanding of who that person is at the end of the supply chain, you're in a situation where actually that ad is probably as valuable as something else I can get somewhere else. So actually the reach to the most lucrative audiences is actually reduced.
0: I will come to Chris on on the impact of that media stuff in a second as well. But before I get to Michaela, uh, Matt, uh, is this beyond the advertising and targeting side of the the business and the implications from Apple? Does it go more broadly than that?
3: Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, as I was uh, alluding to, I think there's two ways this affects brands. One is um, my ability to effectively reach um, the best possible users for, from, a, from an advertising standpoint. But the second one, and, and most importantly, I think for our clients is clients are genuinely trying to create a better customer experience. And what I mean by customer experience is um, all the different places that a customer might interact with your company and if you're a, a a quick service restaurant brand, that could be really wide and diverse. So that could mean um, I'm trying to reach people um, on a website, pretty straightforward, and on an app. but I'm also trying to reach them into my in my store. I'm also trying to reach them in my drive-through. And now I'm starting to think about wearables. What about connected TV? And what about Apple Carplay? So what you're seeing there is a, a completely largely disconnected, what we call a uh, customer experience ecosystem, that all the smartest marketers in the world are trying to, to connect that together. So, so the implication here is that that just got more that, that just got more difficult. So really, that's the sort of work that we're, um, that we're undertaking with different brands, and I think uh, Joey and others are uh, as well to think about how do we just make things much better for customers? Uh, and typically that has been the role of data. So we need to rethink how we go about doing that.
0: So, Michaela, you sit there, what do you make of all these these characters uh, calling the skies falling in, if you like, in, in, in a couple of months? Not quite, they haven't been that dramatic, but what do you make of all this and do you see any impacts for Adore in this, in this whole play out?
4: I think there's um, nothing like a deadline to really, I think, hone in people's attention to a particular issue. And I think knowing that we have a matter of weeks, not even months or years in the case of... Um, 2020 and and Chrome uh, definitely puts it onto our radar and makes us want to understand so much better what the implications are. And I definitely see implications on our marketing as an online-only business and traditionally very performance marketing-led. Our ability to target our customers with increasing relevancy is incredibly important. I think any... um, Retail business that is incredibly customer focused is genuinely passionate about delivering relevant ads to customers and about finding relevant people for their brand. So I think this really makes all of those elements far more challenging as well. Uh, even before you get to the efficiency side of spend and targeting and so forth. There's a real human element here. As marketers, we have a responsibility for the privacy of our customers' data, of course, but we have a responsibility for relevance as well. And it feels like, in some ways, this new update is going to put those two at odds.
0: So, uh, Michaela, I know you talked to, we were talking earlier and you said that Adore doesn't ha- have an app, so um, it may not be as as harsh for you than for those companies that do. But Joey, I want to ask you, is that, should, should those companies go, we're okay, we haven't got an app, we're, there's stuff coming, we, we accept those implications, but not quite as urgent. Um, is that valid or what is what do you make of that?
2: Yeah, my my recommendation uh, to Michaela and companies like Adore that, don't have a mobile app yet, but, you know, do heavily invest into acquisition would be to speak to media agencies, speak to your uh, advertising partners and find out, does any of our activity currently rely on IDFA, whether that be through audience extension or lookalikes, et cetera, Uh, because there could be unexpected impacts uh, that you're not aware of uh, that uh, ideally now by understanding you could change the strategy and try and account for that ahead of time, or at least Prepare the business for understanding there could be an impact of you know, 10, 15%, because that's where the audience extension activity is now.
0: Chris, you you were talking. There is an impact to the uh, Facebook advertising network. This is wh- where we. You think there are some issues that could be hit here, and does this then have an effect to say someone like Michaela at door who I assume you're doing lookalikes with Facebook and, and matching, right? So, is there some broader implications there, Chris, or the Facebook the broader Facebook ne- um, ecosystem goes beyond the app?
1: Just to remain friends with people like Facebook, I want to be very clear that it's not just not just Facebook, right? So it's everyone. So IDFA will help Facebook, yes, or Menulog or others, for example, to understand if any advertising they've run resulted in an install and from where that install came. So if we were to look at Facebook themselves, they do use the IDFA for, uh, uh, from what I've read and heard, a significant percentage of their their ad technology, but they're not 100% reliant on it. Uh, then you've also got, as part of this mix, which um, a lot of the listeners would have heard of, um, mobile measurement partners or MMPs. So these are tools that have basically emerged over the past five to six years, and, and a lot of companies rely on them to provide the attribution and conversion data. So they also use the IDFA for that measurement as well. Uh, a lot of tools also use the IDFA for onboarding any of their first party CRM data.
0: Customer data platform, right?
1: That's correct. So if you are uh, uh, investing in, in technology from Salesforce or Adobe or Oracle, etc., uh, the IDFA is also used to onboard that data. Onboarding meaning um, understand that this person on this particular device is the same person in my CRM system. And they use that for remarketing. Retargeting. Well, actually just personalizing. So right. if you if you look at the perspective of if someone comes to your mobile app, if you could pull out that data to say this person is uh, is who we think they are as a device, so now let's show them a the next best offer relating to, to to what we feel they should be seeing.
0: Michaela, I just want to ask you, you made an interesting point earlier about you're focused on uh, performance marketing to to drive uh, customers and so forth. What is performing for you as a, as a, as a big pool. There's a big bucket of, of channels and, and, and uh, audiences out there. Has there been anything changing in the last six to 12 months or even over COVID? But, and primarily, um, who's performing in performance for you?
4: For us, uh, Paid Search continues to perform incredibly strongly for us. We have been really fortunate to be able to go out with a first ever brand campaign Um, during this period as well. And I think the culmination of a lot of different channels, so both digital, but also above the line as well, coming together um, has resulted in an uplift in in search visibility for us, which has been fantastic. We've been able to find a huge number of new customers that that didn't know we existed, but hopefully thrilled to know that we exist now. Um, But social marketing, social media platforms, such as Facebook, Instagram, are still incredibly important for us as well. Including a lot of our affiliate network partners too.
0: We're going to go off script here for a second because it's it, it is very interesting. So you're a, you're a performance marketer, you're head of acquisition and retention. So you're right in that sweet spot at, at lower funnel activity. In the last three months, when you said that a brand campaign has been launched in the first, which is interesting, right? Because it's in the middle of COVID and you've got um you know a, an online company going into brand. Were you able to see impact on, on in your acquisition, your customer acquisition, in that lower funnel metrics as a result of the the brand campaign because you'd be seeing the numbers at the dashboard.
4: The really interesting thing about brand in general is you would expect a much longer term return and impact of brand but I think what the COVID environment has done has almost condensed that into a much shorter period so I would say that we have already seen upside um, from our brand campaign even in this really condensed period so we started that back in May, May, June, July three months so that would normally be quite a short um window to see an impact but i we have certainly have seen a really positive impact are you
0: are you going to tell are you going to tell us what by what percentage
4: <laughs> no not by what percentage but just that we I, I, in some ways it is still too soon i think to tell what the true impact is but just that we can certainly see it very clearly in the numbers.
0: Yeah, well, it was fascinating. Well, I'll come back to you on that one, um, and maybe in a couple of weeks, and we'll get your numbers. Sure. Hey, um, Chris. Uh, Chris, what's the impact on on the advertising market, on on agencies uh, and and advertisers, in the, as a result of this? Is, you, you've touched on it, but anything more that we should be keeping an eye on?
1: One of the telltale signs that this will impact a lot of people in the industry is there's a letter written by a lot of industry bodies uh, to, to Tim Cook himself, basically saying that um, what Apple were doing uh, was against, against the, the the GDPR rules, et cetera. And this is IAB Europe, IAB Tech Lab. A, a lot of people obviously represent publishers and people who make money from advertising related to data. Now, it's also interesting to, to see that this this isn't the case, right? There's there there is nothing there is nothing that Apple have done that is against that whole GDPR ability for a consumer to choose what they opt into or not opt into.
0: Well you could argue that you could argue that Apple's actually far gone more aggressive, more aligned to the intent or spirit of GDPR, couldn't you?
1: Well, that's absolutely right. And and, and I think that's what we all need to kind of take a step back and go, well, is Apple's business as a whole, um, and Google's business as a whole worth more than what they're making from advertising technology and advertising sales that they have um, uh, versus having, having someone related to CCPA, GDPR, or whatever the ACCC come up with here in the future uh, knocking their door about that and privacy. So I do think that it's obviously going to have a major impact on advertising and marketing in general and how people plan and buy media. But but if you actually look at, uh, if, you, if you do a bit of research, Apple's had limited ad tracking for some time. You can actually turn on within your, your, um, your phone settings, limited ad tracking. And you can actually go buy those people using Apple's own system called Apple Search. And you can target those people as well. You just pay a lot less money for it. And it's like with anything. So it, it, if something is more highly targeted and you've got the data to do it, they'll be more expensive to reach. If you can't really understand who they are, it's going to be a lot more cost effective to to, to buy those audiences. Other areas that might be important to understand there, there are some benefits to it. So cookie bombers, which we touched on the last last specific podcast, there are some people that believe that cookie bombing where you're just – Trying to hit as many people as you can with an ad and hoping that it looks like you created that from an attribution perspective, created that sale.
0: I'll jump in there. McAller, you right? You've got those cookie bon- bombers under control, do you?
4: Oh, completely. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's where we come into the conversation of, of a Google or a Facebook who, would, who, who may have claimed uh, a view through conversion. To say we actually delivered that now that won't be possible anymore so they won't be able to do that Uh, so the there's a there's a replacement solution which people will be using called um scad network uh so i don't know if it's actually called scad network or s k s k a ad network i really have no idea how to pronounce it but scad network and it will only work on last click attribution so everything will now be managed on a last click basis rather than on a view through basis. So anyone that previously went out and optimized based on, hey, they saw this out on my network, it must be resulted to me, that won't work anymore. It will literally be a last click award.
0: Can you give me 30 seconds on last click, Michaela?
4: Oh, absolutely. It's something that for me as a marketer, it um, and it's funny that you mentioned cooking, cookie bombing because I know that I laugh, but understanding that attribution piece and which channels really are playing the most significant roles in the mix, um, I mean, that's the million dollar question. If I could tell with 100% certainty that this is the value of this channel, this is the value of this channel, I mean, I'd... I'd be a billionaire. Yeah, that's a- right. Absolutely, last touch, or knowing that the world is going to become more last touch when we're all trying to move t- more towards attribution, further away from it. Uh, it certainly doesn't sound like an ideal scenario as a digital marketer.
0: Well, to me, and I'm not, I'm neither of that, but it's just, it's, it's there the, the debate that goes around on last click, and, and in fact, it's phenomenal that there's so many big companies still still relying that on their for their attribution model still. And I, I look, that's another area, uh, Matt Hunt. Your view on the impact that this might have on the media data and ad market? Um, we've talked on it. I know you've touched it, but any further thoughts? Yeah, It's an
3: important question, Paul. Um, I think I'd like to pick up also on the, the, the positioning around Apple and, and sort of what, what, why this is happening. And I think it's important to give, give some uh, additional context also. Like, like I think all Apple is doing, I'm going to go into bat slightly for them here because I need to get my daughter's iPhone screen replaced next week. I think Apple are, are simply, they have a very deep commitment to their brand and their core value proposition. If you think about Apple, Apple, I think the latest interbrand study put Apple as the number one most recognised brand in the world. Right, valued I think $240 billion ahead of Amazon, ahead of Coca-Cola, ahead of Microsoft as a brand, right? And so if you think about um, what you would do if you were Apple, would you really want to operate in this non-transparent, opaque world of third-party behavioural targeting um, as evidenced by Cambridge Analytica and um, what's happening in California, and the A thinking about what's going on Google here, like all the signs are there, right? This is not. This isn't. This is obvious to anyone that's in, in this sector. We know Apple is broadly a hardware and a services business, and they're in the business of sort of delivering beautiful products for what people need right now, or trying to anticipate what they might want in the future. I think that's what's going on here, right? They're thinking about what do my customers want in the future, and Either the way, the consumers have been pretty, um, pretty, pretty vocal about what they want. You know, we know they've got a services business. We know they're in the business of Apple News, Apple Music, um, Arcade and Gaming. And so I think they recognise that content and advertising has a place within their ecosystem to support their core business. But I think they're delivering for their customers to say, look, we'll participate here, but it's time for us to take back control. So we'll do it in our own way. And by us taking back control, we're going to control that experience for our users as well. So I think that's my take on how 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 we're here um, as it relates to to the advertising market. As as I said before, I think um, there's going to be big changes in in in, um, in, in, in inventory and, and and the pricing of that. We've spoken about that. Equally, when it comes to um, really smart performance marketing for, for Michaela or customer experience, design and execution, I don't think we can underestimate the talents and the innovation of our industry in Australia and around the world as well. I'm more optimistic. IDFA is one signal that's been a big pillar and a foundation of how we think about connecting um, with customers, but it's only one. And in a recent conversation I had with someone very senior at Facebook and said, oh, we think this is going to be have a big impact on your business, their response is, look, we are far better placed than a lot of other organisations because they have huge numbers of signals that they can use to simply understand audiences to connect, to, to, to connect them with brands. Um, and I think from our standpoint, we, we've anticipated this uh, for a long time. You know, is it so hard to predict that pri- a privacy-led advertising model would come to the surface? I, I don't think so, right, which is part of the reason, like, we acquired a data company um, coming up 18 months ago, who was primarily building data models not around device IDs but around physical attributes of people, right? So there's there's huge amounts of data available and it's able to be processed if you know how to do it. For example, um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics puts out surveys all the time around our working population. We We can access transport data. There's a census. There's all these different signals where we can build a really good understanding and map like we've done, ten million households, and the reason we're doing that is because we th- we know that the principles of understanding audiences are really important. How we do that is going to change all the time, so I so I think yes, this is a huge change, no question out, question about that. But I know the people on this call and the people and the clients that we're speaking to are actually really across this, so I'm optimistic that you know, we'll navigate this in the way that we're navigating cookies and the rest of those things. So I feel like it's never been more difficult, but the best marketers are going to navigate this and they'll create the winners and the losers.
0: Good take, Matt. Um, Joey, I'm going to ask you about the impact on the overall tech stack, but Chris mentioned it before. I think Apple does move the market. It moved the market on Safari. Chrome followed. Um, It's doing this on apps now. What happens to Google if it starts to do a similar thing on tracking Opt ins and the numbers that you talk about, which you know is much higher than, than Chris's. Apple moves the market, the market follows. So there's there, there is some sort of impact going to go, going to happen there, then, right?
2: Yeah, almost, almost certainly. I think everyone expects that Google, in a way, will be forced to follow suit. And some of it is very much related to what Matt just said, you know, the brand perception. If Google doesn't follow suit, what does that mean? You know, with the things that are happening with the AC, with things that are happening in, in Europe for GDPR breaches uh, with questions around misuse of data, it is not a good idea for Google not to follow suit. Therefore, we, we should assume that they will.
0: Um, more broadly, Joey, um, what happens to a market or a brand owner's overall tech stack? Is there, uh, is there some, some crumbling to happen there or some things that aren't going to work?
2: I think there will definitely be some reshuffling. And we don't fully know the impact of that. And there's a lot of different threads that tie things together. So we could say, for instance, that mobile demand side platforms will immediately be impacted because not being able to retarget people using the, the ID uh, is an instant, you know, let's stop investing in that area. But could there be a case in the future where there's, going back to another point Matt made, some use of contextual data or uh, signals that are uh, that protect the the privacy of an individual that would then you know see investment rise up in that area. So I think that that's still a TBC. It's unlikely to look the same as it does today. The spend definitely won't be the same as it is today. We should continue to see spend in this area after that initial dip. And then the other one that Chris mentioned earlier, uh, two two parts of what Chris mentioned, one is the mobile measurement partners that are currently being used for attribution and as well deep linking. So the idea of uh, an experience that you might be trying to redeem an offer from a brand but it turns out that you need to install the app, they want to provide you a seamless experience. Uh, there is the the technology that the ID is being used to provide that seamless link. So as soon as you install the app, that you will be able to redeem the offer of the banner that you clicked on.
0: And that's what you're calling deep linking? Uh, Deferred deep linking. Deferred, that's even better. I'm really learning some stuff here. Thank you, Joey.
2: Yeah, so that that deferred deep linking uh, will be impacted. The attribution will be impacted. And there's a big question around what type of shape these mobile measurement uh, partners will in future. Uh, there was specifically the mention of this SK ad network or SCAD network framework, which, and to, to go a little bit deeper on it, Apple's providing this as uh, a, a safe framework for users, right? So it doesn't require users to opt in. It's com- it's completely unrelated to the ID for advertisers, but it does have the limitations of that last click that we were discussing. Uh, the question is, who integrates with this framework? Is it the mobile me- uh, measurement partners that traditionally to date have been aggregating the data from your Facebook, from your Google, from the other mobile demand side uh, platforms all into one place so you can see that aggregated view and who should get the conversion attribution or is Facebook and Google for their own uh, platforms going to be building that that link directly with Apple. And so sort of the way that this shakes out and who plays that role of being the arbiter for a brand, you know, for a brand like Adore in, in, in future that may have a mobile app that's trying to understand the attribution. Do they go to 10 different platforms? Do they go to one? It's it's unclear at this point in time. And I think uh, the one part, uh, while I agree with so much of what Matt has said around the, the, the spirit and the intent of what Apple has done is, is in the right place, uh, there is that request that, you know this. What is being uh, exposed by Apple through the, the Scad network could be done better. Uh, could be done in a way that's going to be actually usable for brands, rather than the limitations on, you know, only one maximum of a hundred campaigns, that can only be identified by a number, etc. It's hard to see how this is going to work in practice.
0: Well, Michaela, uh, what do you make of all that? And does it does it sort of start to shift? How you think and how you operate, and your marketing peers, I guess, as well. Um, any thoughts?
4: I suppose the really lucky side about my remit is there's the acquisition side, and it's very clear that everything we've talked about today is going to impact that quite heavily. But then there's, in some ways, the the flip side to that, which is the retention side or the loyalty side, as other businesses um, would call it, and. It really is about understanding, I think, our customer. And perhaps one of the things we now need to do as we move into the future and start to navigate this uncertainty is understand as much as we can about our own first party data, who our customers are. And I think, as Matt very rightly said, the IDFA is just one signal. What are all the other signals that we're gathering to kind of build that, I guess, that identity resolution and really form, I guess clear profiles so that if in the future when the attribution companies come up with alternatives, um, as I'm sure that they will, it'll it'll be a game of cat and mouse in some ways, um, we'll be in a really excellent position to then be able to leverage those with a better understanding of our customers. So sometimes it's not just about looking outwards to see how we can solve this, but also looking inward and, and say, right, well, how can we get a better picture of our customers if it is about delivering relevancy? if it is about protecting their privacy. So I think that's something that we'll look at going forward, how we can balance the two sides, I guess, of that equation, the acquisition and the retention loyalty side.
0: Great thoughts. Final thoughts from from, from all of you. I think we've covered the privacy stuff a little. If someone's got some thoughts on that, great. But uh, Matt, as we wind up, your suggestions to the market on on what now? Because we are talking September.
3: Yeah. My message is this is going to affect mobile, therefore it's going to affect digital Uh, marketing is going to affect marketing uh, across the board. I think uh, understanding how it's going to affect from an acquisition standpoint, what your targets are going to be, what your budgets are going to be, how many people are likely to be acquired into your business is is interesting. A broader point um, is I tend to put technology second, not, not to underestimate that, but I think to understand the customer is to understand the problem. And I think maybe unpopularly, brand has never been more important because what we're talking about here is that old um, idea that people were more likely to buy from brands they know and that they trust. And because of what's going on here, trust has never been more important. So the technology is very important, very important in in how we put that technology stack together. But I just wonder whether we're underplaying the need to communicate our value proposition through to a user to explain to them, Paul... Um, by consenting to this, I'm going to give you a much better experience. And I think to the point that Chris or, or Joey was making earlier on, I am probably very likely to opt in to my banking app and a whole bunch of very important apps that I probably, probably use. However, for those less important apps, I think there's going to be real challenge there as we see a
0: large number of people saying, you know what, that's that's no longer for me. Chris Brinkworth, I want to get your final thoughts and, and quickly on, on the privacy bit uh, and your final thoughts for the market. Obviously, we saw uh, the ACCC take Google to the federal court uh, on Monday in and around this very issue of consent, informed consent. Uh, and they are alleging that, you know, uh, Google changed the rules uh, and didn't do it uh, uh, transparently enough to consumers. And they're taking the court uh, and, and Rod Sims makes some very very strong um, points there to the whole market I think that need to be aware of uh, but again privacy and what this means what Matt's talking about with brand uh, your final thoughts
1: so I kind of like I, I've agreed with everyone on this podcast but I still don't believe that that just because it's a bank people will opt in to the message and the reason being it does say personalized advertising. So a lot of people still won't won't want to have personalised ads um, shown to them, whether it's a bank or not. That's just just one thought there. There will be just as a as a, I know you asked me for final thoughts, but just as an addendum, that there, there will be the opportunity for you to go in as a consumer after that one time it's been asked later on, and turn those settings back on again. So it may well come down to the point that an, an app like a bank, a bank app may say, hey, can you please go turn this on and we'll give you something in return for that. That may well happen in the future. So but, but other than that, privacy wise, like, it's all going to come down to um, the fact that if you don't have a good chain of custody and knowledge of where that data came from initially, which company you either acquired information from or which consumer you collected that information from, and the chain of custody of the opt-in and permission went along with that data line, sorry, that line of data, then you shouldn't be using it. You should not be using it. So, so it, the, there's absolutely no mistake the reason I've chosen two key companies to work with here. One is around um, how to manage GDPR compliance, uh, CCPA compliance, et cetera, on, on, a, um, on a tag-by-tag basis and what data is being collected and how it's being used. And the other system I'm working with from the US is how you can actually go out and purchase data to enrich what you have in your CDP, but ensure that that chain of command of the opt-in and where that knowledge came from is also passed along when you acquire that data at a first-party and second-party data level. If you're not doing that, you're going to be in the same position Google are right now.
0: Got it. Joey, your final thoughts are for the technology sector and, of course, brands and marketers. You're in the thick of that.
2: Absolutely. So I think a bit of advice and then a bit of a warning. So I think the, the advice to, to brands would be absolutely take a look at the role of IDFA across all your tech, make sure you understand it, make sure you map where it's used, even if you think it, it might not be used today, it's worth having the conversations with your vendors and, and get the, the their full point of view on today and what the future looks like. Uh, Understand if it's being used for measurement, any critical activities that could be impacted as soon as iOS 14 is released. And look carefully at where it could be used for things like cross-device linkage that you may not be aware of today. So there is also a a side effect of that, that, you know, we've talked about it a a number of times today, the signals that aren't going to be affected are email address, phone number, etc. When a user trusts you with that information when they log in, uh, you'll still have that available. So I would expect that a lot of brands will prioritize, same thing with cookies, prioritize incentivizing authentication and giving the users a better experience if they identify themselves. I think where that comes with a warning is the wording of Apple's uh, terms of service in this area are very unclear. So they have said if the user chooses to opt out of the ID for advertisers, they should not be retargeted with identifiers, including fingerprinting and including email address. So that is explicitly in Apple's terms of service, which could mean things like using a, a measurement partner that has their own fingerprinting technology to try and get around the IDFA is a breach. It could mean if a user doesn't give you IDFA consent, that targeting them on Facebook with their email address is a breach. So will Apple enforce this? Can they monitor it? In theory, they would be able to take an app, any app, off of the App Store if a breach was found. But given how restrictive it is, I think we need to closely watch and stay tuned because obviously this has much wider-reaching uh, uh, impacts if they will. Was- they are intending to stop brands from retargeting based on email address.
0: Well, September countdown. Uh, Michaela Michaud, Chris Brinkworth, Joey Newen, Matt Hunt, thanks for the headache. Uh, I've got a lot to try and work through now, and um, I think a fair part of the market uh, will be thinking very hard about this. Uh, thanks for joining. I think we will, um, again, do another one of these uh, in a few months' time after September to see whether Chris Brinkworth is right on his 5% uh, you know, opt-in or opt-out number. We're going to test you there, Mr Brinkworth. Thanks for joining 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 us guys thank you thanks guys mi3 audio edition was presented by paul mcintyre that's moi in collaboration with podcast one australia producer nick slater music by matt dwyer for more episodes go to podcastone.com.au or search mi3 audio edition on apple podcasts and hit the subscribe button